We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Good evening, folks. It is 7.08 in the Twin Cities. As May Murphy with you until... Nine o'clock. Well, this half hour, we are going to visit with a couple that decided to form their own coffee company uh, and create a nonprofit. So in other words, they are ha- have an online coffee company and the profits are going to charity. Uh, they live in Waconia, Waconia and uh, one of the things they've been able to do is they've been able to cover the majority of the cost of a little girl in Haiti to remove a chunk of skin covering her eye. Now she can see both of our, out of both of her eyes. Uh, and that's the kind of work that they're doing. And I thought, let's talk to these folks about how you suddenly decide to try and, and kind of pull this together and, and get this business together, a coffee business nonetheless. So it's Brandy Seward and Steve Seward are both founders of Java Relief. They are husband and wife. And did I say your last names correctly? Yes, you did. Okay, okay great. Well, welcome to both of you. Explain sort of you. what what you were doing before and how you came up with this idea. And then, you know, I think a lot of people have ideas of, of a business or uh, maybe an invention, and it's the difficulty is getting it from the idea to the actual business. So, right. what were you doing before you you did Java Relief? Well, for me, I have been a stay-at-home mom for years and years. My uh, children are now um, 19 and 14. So, and that's uh, that's that is a lot of work. That's a lot of work. Um, so for and, me, and, and, and just you have the two kids, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. 19, 14. Shale and, and Jada. Yeah. So for me, um, it's a little bit easier to step into something different, but. Um, I'll let my husband take the, the part of the story here where... Okay. And what, what uh, were you doing before, Steve? Oh, uh, yeah. I, so I, I'm in advertising. Uh, I, I have my... Uh, I'm a partner at a, a creative shop. And um, so we, you know, I've been... I've, I have had my own business and, and I still do. And um, So you didn't quit we, the day job? I didn't. Okay. No. With, with, I mean, that's you got two kids. You know, <laughs> you got to make sure the bills are getting exactly. paid. Yeah, and and really to make an impact with this job relief business, we don't draw any income from it because we want um, we want results, right? So we want to make money. We and but we want to make an impact to these children at risk that we have in mind. All right. And um, so this, you know, you you said that, you know, how do you take this idea that you've had and actually make it a reality? Well, the reality from, for us is it took a long time. Uh, it was it was two years, really, before we we finally just dove right in. And because, you know, once you once you dive in, you're committed. And and we knew, you know, this is going to be a lot of work. And, um, you know, we have we have our normal life. So we, we paced ourselves. And kind of just built built it up. And I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the website. Very cool. Yes. JavaRelief.com. Thank you. Yeah. And so that took a lot of time. 
you know, there's a lot of thought and effort yeah. and, and we have to source out, um, you know, where are we going to get this, this coffee, um, you know, and who are all our vendors and what's the packaging design look like and, um, how we're going to market this, you know, through social media. And it's really, you know, it's, it's been three months. So we're just, um, we're learning as we go, but it's been really, it's been super fun for us because we're doing this together, my wife and I, um, and we're just super passionate about what we're, we're doing. And you haven't killed each other yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I mean, I mean, you know, you've got two teenage kids, there's a lot going on, but let me ask you this. How did you choose? So did, did you know from the start that it would be coffee or that you just knew you wanted to find some kind of nonprofit to raise money to help others? Yeah. Yeah. And as me, part of the story too, is that we've been doing mission trips overseas, uh, for 20 years at least. And, um, and have seen a lot of terrible circumstances that children live in. And so that, too, was part of the buildup of, okay, finally it hit us. We cannot go back home and live normal again. We have to do something. And and as Steve has kind of figured out, and it's, it's true, is that who the whole world drinks coffee, yeah. Well, I yes, I would agree. Just about everybody does. Yeah, and and everybody, you know, you can eat different foods in different countries, but coffee is such a common denominator, and of course, it's such a hot button in the states, especially now. So, yeah, it's just a. So you you thought was, let's why not coffee? Yeah. Okay. Then how do you find? I mean, it's not like there's a coffee uh, plants growing in Waconia, which is a lovely place. Yeah. Um, where, where do you, where, how, how do you go about finding the supplier? I mean, all of that is, is a tremendous mm-hmm. investment in, I would imagine, not just time, but money as well. Right. And and I'll let Steve take that, that question. Um, it was funny, though. We started out big. We Steve presented me with this idea that we needed to have a coffee truck that showed the awareness piece. Um, and it's a great plan and whatever, but then we were like, wait a minute, coffee truck. Okay, what do we need to have a coffee truck? Oh, we should learn about coffee. I mean, we've kept <laughs> having to probably backwards to figure this thing out. So, but yeah, we do have a good um, source for coffee, and Steve can share. Right, and share the and that. the and the coffee truck looks very. So, do you drive around and give out samples, and then hope people order from you? Well, and we don't have our coffee truck. That's our dream. Oh, so, okay. So we're still working on the coffee truck. Yeah. Yeah. Right now we're just okay. online, and we have a booth that we just had our first event. Uh, today. Okay. We were at Tour de Tonka and we were there at, what, what time was it, Brandy? 3.45, we got out of bed and we were there by 5 a.m. Okay. We used, used to getting up early. Though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Early, <laughs> but, but I, and I'm just looking at the mock-up because it looks, I mean, the mock-up of the truck looks great. Yeah. Um, but, but what was the reception? Did people sort of seem to understand what you were doing? So, yeah, so here's, I should probably back up and, and kind of share with you, um, a little bit of where that came from. So I'm in, I'm in advertising. I'm a graphic designer, art director, and so, you know, when you go out and, uh, you know, I'm I'm used to to doing these pitches. You know, so mm-hmm. you go into companies and you have a, a presentation and a pitch, and and I thought, um, you know, as as I'm thinking about, okay, how can we make an impact? Because there's such a need in in so many of these places that we've been. These 
really impoverished slums and um and I'm not a very good person I am horrible at asking favors from anybody and especially for for funds or money and I thought you know we we could make money um I mean look at look at all the coffee shops that are popping up and you know and and food trucks have been really a trendy thing for a while and you know I thought as I'm as I'm thinking for 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 really I, t- I took like three mornings and just just thought okay I'm gonna just try to dive into this thing and and what can I do and this this was revealed to me that why don't you build a, a truck and it's not just a truck to make money and sell sell goods it's actually an awareness piece so you could actually take this thing to events. Um, where people maybe have the same mindset as you, um, and and really just show what the vision is through video, okay. and and so that's something I'm pretty familiar with as well. And so it's it's much more than just selling coffee. It was this awareness piece to it, and and so then I pitched it to my wife. I, I thought, you know, if I just throw this at her and she's, you know, just talking through it, she's not going to buy into it. So I had to create a whole. PowerPoint. <laughs> so this is this is what I want. This is what I'm envisioning. What do you think? And um, I think it kind of took her back a, a bit when right. I first presented it. But and and how long have you actually been selling coffee? Because um, you know you can go on to, and the, again the website is javarelief.com and you can go and the coffee looks great. Um, how long have you coffee, actually been selling? Yeah, coffee? the coffee is is excellent. It's um, we've only been uh, since May. So it's it's really it's really uh, new, and okay. and as we're but it's been but it's been really well received, like unbelievably well received, and and um, yeah, it's just kind of like we 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 thought, how much inventory inventory do we once we launch this site, how much do we get? And we're super conservative, but yet I I felt like ah, you know what this is just new. You know, maybe we, I think we bought like 120, like we just roast 120 bags. Let's hit launch. Um, and and, and do you do the, do you do the roasting? No, we have uh, a partner with two roasters and, um, and yeah, so we, but, but, but they have a job too. And now that's what their job is. And so you can't just say, okay, I need 120 bags of coffee um, delivered tomorrow. You know, it's like. You kind of gotta, you got, you got to do some guessing as to how much traffic you're gonna get on your website, um, and we missed it because we just like it just poured in. Um, really, we started some social media stuff, and just kind of kicked off some campaigns, you know, through Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and um, and then some email blasts. And, and so you're saying all of the profits are going to these charitable causes, you know, children's causes, you know, mm-hmm. in third world. Countries or impoverished uh, countries. Let me ask you. I mean, how much this has to had to be an initial outlay, though. I, I assume yeah. that you are you able to cover your expenses. Well, we did put uh, some of our own money in so that we could get started. We'd have to because yep. <laughs> yep. you got to buy the coffee. But we don't yeah. have to pay for marketing and advertising because that's you know that's something I do. So so that's a huge part, right? Right. So, logo and and you see the website i mean the, to build a website so, like so you so you common. you were able to kind of design the website yeah design and build it yeah okay because it's i mean it's obviously a 
professional looking website and you're obviously yeah. a professional. So I, I see what you're saying. So otherwise you would have had to have hired somebody to design this kind of a website. Yeah. And then, um, because, because I am clueless about how to start a business, I reached out to a friend of ours. Really, he was an acquaintance. We hadn't probably talked to him for 10 years, but I knew he was in a accounting and law firm. And I reached out to him and I said, can you just even help me at all about how to start this business? And his company, Boulay, which is on our website, totally took it for us and did the work. And wow. Yeah. Pro bono. Yeah. Pro bono. Just really, really excellent You're help. Awesome. Wow. Okay. And so, so you had your first public event. So where do you go from here? So, um, yeah, so we have, we, we tested that out today and um, Nickel, or I'm sorry, the Tour de Tonka, I'm thinking Nickel Dickel Day in Waconia is coming up, but, but yeah, Tour de Tonka had uh, 3,500 riders and um, about 600 volunteers there. And we just thought, well, let's, we'll see what happens. And so, you know, again, we put a lot of time and effort into creating this really cool branded booth. And, um, yeah, we just had, we, we blew through all our inventory and um, couldn't keep up with the demand. Wow. So we're learning <laughs> but it was so it was a, it was success, and it seems like people were really inquisitive because we had these cards. So you know, if, if somebody's thinking about these things uh, as they're as we're talking, so we had you know, you go to an event like a bike race, everybody has a bag and they have flyers in there, and um, so we made one of those, and it talked about our business. We gave them a you know a coupon for free shipping, and um, and we talked about it, and and. And people would come to our booth and they would say, okay, what's the deal? Um, all volunteer, uh, 100% profits, go to children at risk. It's like, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> yeah. And said, well, you know, it's, um, I have to keep working. This is, my, <laughs> my, my wife can do this full time and we'll see yeah. if, if she gets burned out doing it. But so far, Brandy, I, I'm speaking for you. It seems like she's really enjoying it. Well, um, and, and uh, so, yeah, and the, uh, I mean, I guess it's, uh, the coffee looks like the 12 ounce bags are $11.95, uh-huh. which I uh-huh. think is obviously comparable. Uh-huh. Uh, and so you can go on to the website, uh, javarelief.com, uh-huh. and just shop. So, yeah. Um, Esme, you asked, you know, where do we go from here? Our biggest, um, our biggest thing would be to have the truck. So that's what we're, we're hoping for. And, um, you know, somebody out there is going to believe in us and what we're doing, and they're going to say, "Hey, I, I'm going to come alongside you." We just, we just believe it, and um, we're we're praying for that that it will just be a, you know, a just it'll just happen, and then we'll be able to drive around and and do all these events way easier than we than we do right now. With your booth, that you probably have to transport everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and you know some of the rules that come along with having. Uh, beverages at a food at a stand and stuff like that. So, and then also for the children that um, I think it's an important point to know with 100% of our profits going to children, we um, have such great contacts around the world with people that we trust, nationals that we trust, that take the money and do with it what they've said they need to do with it. And that's huge that we we know exactly where the money's going. The boots on the ground. Well, that's yeah. and that's and that is so important because I you know I, and 
you know, having been a reporter um, for so many years, it is uh, unbelievable to me that that people will t- will use uh, people and take advantage of people's generosity mm-hmm. uh, for you know false or fraudulent purposes. Yeah. So to know that you really know that 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 that, that money is really going to a child and really helping is 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 fabulous. I mean, it's fabulous. Yeah. Stuff. Well, and that's the thing that is so exciting for us is to be able to share with people what their money has gone for, to be able to share the stories of these these children, like the girl that you mentioned who has the uh, patch of skin removed from her eye, and to be able to have follow up on these on these kids and let everybody else hear, oh, we were part of that. That's huge. Yeah, and you got some good coffee. Yeah, <laughs> we do. There. Well, listen, um, I, I want to give you out the name of the website again, um, javarelief.com. And they're up and running. They're selling coffee. All the profits go to help uh, kids that are uh, impoverished, that have uh, different co- medical problems, uh, and that need help, that really, really desperately need help. And it's yeah. been founded by Brandy and Steve Seward from Waconia. So yeah. congratulations, folks, and good luck to you. Thank you so much, Esme. Okay, well, yeah. I, and we'll have to have you on at a later date to see how, how much more coffee you're selling. Yeah, great. <laughs> That's okay. great. All right, Appreciate thank, you, thank so you so much. Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. All right, well, what a, what a cool idea. But again, uh, that website, javarelief.com, and the 12-ounce bags, they've got all different kinds of coffee, all different kinds of roasts, uh, $11.95, which is competitive if you're looking at – you know, the fancy coffees of this world, and it's all going to a good cause. Okay, folks, um, I'll be with you until 9 o'clock. Coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, we've got, of course, David Schultz. And then really interesting story uh, coming up uh, in our next half hour, kind of something akin to the Bernie Madoff. Maybe I'll talk to you right after the break about that. But uh, keep it here, News Radio 830 WC. It is uh, 728 in the Twin Cities, 65 degrees. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, coming up in our 8 o'clock hour, we're going to chat with Professor David Schultz uh, about his ostrich egg. It's a very interesting story. I'm not sure I get the whole thing, but he's going to be – he actually has uh, a pretty well-known uh, coffee shop that is going to cook his ostrich eggs for him on Tuesday. Um, I don't know if I can say the name of it, but but maybe we'll find out. But anyway, he's he's getting it professionally cooked, and an ostrich egg is is about the size of like two dozen hen eggs. So that's a that's a big egg. It's a big egg. And then we're going to talk politics. And just chatting in the break with uh, Jonathan, you know, it's really not so much politics as. And I was talking to my friend Pat Bopra. <laughs> it's just every way to put it. Every day, there, there's something. I call it. I call it a circus, but soap opera. I think is is pretty accurate. It's it's so um, with the Scaramucci firing and just it's just. I was. I, what story was I on? And um, I can't even remember. They're all blending together. And <laughs> and you know, we got <laughs> the conference what call. I know. <laughs> I know what it was. I was talking last Sunday. I had on as my guest. Uh, uh, Lindell. Lindell, Mike yep. Lindell, who yep. um, obviously is the founder of My Pillow, and he is a, a huge Donald Trump supporter. He was saying last summer he's going to win. Trust me, he's going to win. I was like, yeah, right. Like, Mike Lindell is cr- absolutely correct. Mr. Trump did win, but one of the people that he was really good friends with was Anthony Scaramucci. 
that they'd known each other and they text back and forth. And this was like Sunday, and I think he got fired Monday. So I yeah. asked, I said, "What's he like?" And um, Mike Lindell was saying, you know, what nice he was, and how you know um, this was despite the profanity laced rant that he uh, had in the New Yorker. But anyway, yeah, it was. But um, just what a great guy he is! How he picks up the check, and he's just really super wonderful. And so here, so here's a day later, he's out. This is we need soap opera music, this sort of like the 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 Minnesota hospital music that comes on. Every oh, I year love at the Minnesota fair, hospital, which is I, coming up. I am. I Dave Lee well, is a genius. You've got to listen to his. Is it usually the first Thursday of the fair? No, no, no. It'll be both Fridays. Both Fridays. Both of the fair. Fridays. So good. He's so, really. He, you know, he is. A great comedy writer. I mean, See, a great writer. We need to get either that sort of music or some sort of soap opera esque music to talk about the latest episode of as as the Trump turns, um, because basically he brought in Scaramucci to be the quote unquote hitman, and then he gets a hit week, a week and a half later. He gets proverbially whacked. Right. <laughs> what is this, and people? And, and what Scaramucci, is this? Scaramucci tell people like he wasn't. He's not a backstabber. He's a front stabber. So you know, you know when he's coming at you. Anyway, we'll talk to Dave Schultz about all <laughs> that because it is, is unbelievable. Um, all right, and then coming up uh, after, after we're going to have to take a break for weather. I'm a little getting um, by myself here, but then we're going to talk uh, with an author. Janet Lombardi has written a memoir called "Bankruptcy: A Love Story," and it's a true story. What happens to a woman after her husband commits a white collar crime to cover up substantial debt is prosecuted. And winds up in prison. That's coming up in our next half hour. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It is 737 in the Twin Cities. Well, I hope you have a vacation planned coming up. So many of us do in August. And one of the things I love doing on vacation is getting a good book to read, something that really moves, that has an incredible story. And you can go with fiction or you can go with nonfiction or you can go with uh, a nonfiction story that almost seems like it's not real. And I think that that's something that almost really fits with, with the description of this next author's book. Uh, this is a true story. Janet Lombardi uh, is author of Bankruptcy, A Love Story. And I'm just going to read you um, a quote from one of the releases that we got on it. Um, you know, for Janet Lombardi uh, – the biopic Wizard of Lies, which of course is about uh, Bernie Madoff and the books that have been written about Madoff, hit pretty close to home or way too close to home. And, and this is a quote from Janet. My husband, an attorney, committed a white-collar crime to cover up substantial debt and I had no idea, she says. He was prosecuted, disbarred, and wound up in prison. I was left with with shame and financial ruin. Uh, Janet Lombardi has written the book, and again, it's available everywhere. Books are sold. Bankruptcy, a love story, and it is uh, it, it's a very compelling, compelling read. Janet, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, let me ask you this: um, you you had um, a, really a wonderful life. I mean, you know, you were your husband. You thought was doing really well financially. That's right. We lived a, a nice middle-class life. I wouldn't say it was an extravagant life by any means, but we enjoyed our home on a tree-lined street in a suburb outside of New York City. And we had two children, which, thank goodness, we still have. And 
you know, we lived a comfortable life. Very comfortable and, and just uh, homes and suburbs of New York City are <laughs> – that, that's not a, a cheap thing at all, uh, a nice home. And suddenly um, – well, first of all, how, how – because I don't want to give away everything, but – so you're living this very comfortable life, which I think is um, a perfect way to describe it. How did you find out? Uh, that's a great question. I, you know, I certainly had a sense that the finances were kind of nosediving, but I didn't have any idea really how bad it was until uh, the end of 2006, actually the beginning of 2007, just before the country, remember, was about to undergo their own financial mess in 2008 when everything uh, kind of had a meltdown. I called my financial advisor, Chris, to ask him why we hadn't received our year-end statements. You know, at the time, we were still receiving paper statements, and his response to me was, you'd better get yourself a good lawyer, a good accountant, and a private eye. And that certainly got my attention because uh, I just got kind of terrified after hearing that because I realized that things, there was something terribly wrong. So, but was, and what did Chris know? Well, Chris knew that my, my husband had emptied our, uh, some of our accounts, including his own IRA. He had been taking money out, siphoning money out. I didn't have any idea that he was doing that. So, um, that obviously alarmed me and, and, you know, had me realize that there was something, something very wrong that he hadn't come to me and told me. But, uh, after that, I did confront him. I confronted my husband, and he said that he was tapped out. And I kind of went into our finances in a way that I hadn't before, which is a really important part of the story and certainly a cautionary tale that I hadn't really looked at everything. I didn't look at the insurance levels. I didn't look at the mortgage. I didn't look at things. And, and it That's wasn't because like he, he handled it. He handled some of it. I mean, it wasn't like uh, I wasn't. It wasn't like I was completely in the dark either. Uh, I had been handling our household finances, but there was a lot of it that he was handling, and um, so I took a, a very, very deep dive into it, just kind of excavating it, as I like to call it, because that's what it was like, and that's what it felt like. And what I found was that, that there were, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in-debt business line, and, uh, you know, it was uh, way worse than I thought it was. And also at the time, I didn't know that um, there would eventually be a prosecution, and um, my husband was incarcerated for a white-collar crime because he had been also taking money from, from clients through the escrow, through the client's escrow. You know, he had an attorney's account, so I did not know that a lot of those transactions, I didn't know any of them actually were, were going, he was in I didn't know that those uh, transactions were occurring. So it was a huge financial mess. We, um, I ended up, you know, having to sell my house and eventually moved in with my sister. You know, when we separated, he went to prison. I went to live with my sister and brother-in-law for about two years, which I didn't think it was going to be that long. I thought it would be a couple of months because at, at that point I had, two kids in college and wanted to be able to pay their tuition and not have to take them out of school. And this is obviously, I mean, anybody listening to this, is, is it's, it's a harrowing situation. When you went back and looked at it, how long was he doing this? Well, he had been doing it for, I think it was about 
by that point, I'd say about four years. Wow. Uh, yeah. And again, I didn't really know until I took a look at the credit reports, among other things. He did give me permission to look at his credit report, and I looked at them, and it was pretty frightening because there was so much debt. And interestingly, as I describe in the book, Bankruptcy Love Story, that he still had access to a huge credit line. So, so it was know, getting worse. <laughs> it could be getting worse, right. right. It could be getting worse. Yeah, and it's so it's so interesting, you know, um, and obviously this story uh, – you know, hitting it around 2007 because, you know, I, there are so many stories where, where things started unraveling in 2007. And obviously you had the ultimate collapse in 2008, but there were so many people who were exposed, uh, you know, where it was sort of an actual Ponzi scheme or else, um, you know, shifting accounts around because it Absolutely. got to a point where you, where you couldn't hide it anymore because everybody was being tapped out Absolutely. or, or, or you're know, worried about their money. And it was just the tension was building, you know, totally. yeah. 2007 and 2008. Um, in terms of, um, and, so you were you were blindsided by this, but then you go through this process of uncovering it and unraveling it, and you realize not only do you not have the money you thought you had, you're significantly significantly in debt. You've got you know the right. two kids in college. Um, how did you? Um, I mean, how, how do you? How did how did you even begin to kind of recover or deal with it or even get up in yeah. the morning? I mean, that's a good question. Uh, one thing I want to say before I answer that question is that, interestingly, what I did in the book was detail and describe what it was like to be in a family where these kinds of things were occurring. It was, I really hadn't seen any books that were being written about, um, you know, this kind of, you know, serious uh, complications. We were seeing the headlines, right? And and the headlines were startling. All kinds of things were collapsing around us financially in this country, but where were the stories? So this is a, a story. Um, in terms of how I kind of dealt with it was, it was devastating emotionally, but one of the things that I needed to do and did do was kind of separate the emotion from the logic at one point. I felt that I needed to get out of the mess. I wanted to get my queen, clean, kind of, you know, um, and so I had a plan for myself, and I set steps, and I treated it almost like a punch list, but I would, you know, divest the house was number one, because even though I loved my home, and it was, it, it was, it was uh, emotionally uh, devastating, and I didn't want to leave my home, we had just renovated the house, and I described that in the book, how, you know, we were kind of building this life together, um, but I did make the decision to sell the house so I could get out of that very ugly mortgage. Uh, there was a timeshare that I divested. There was other, you know, other credit card, card debt that needed to be taken care of, including a credit line that my husband had used for business that had my name attached to it. So, I, I yeah, ouch. So I kind of took the emotion. I didn't spend a lot of time wringing my hands. But I decided to kind of jump into action. All right. Uh, we're chatting uh, right now with Janet Lombardi. She is the author of Bankruptcy, A Love Story. Again, the, the title, Bankruptcy, A Love Story, because I'm sure there are people out there who are thinking maybe not all of this happened, but but some parts of it did in fact. And I have also known people whose spouses or, or 
loved ones have gone to prison, and you write about that as well. Because at first, it's you, you didn't think it was going to go that far. You just thought you were really bad financial straits. That's right. That's right. No, I had no idea that that was going to happen. But again, things were unraveling. And I was discovering things. It wasn't as if my husband was coming to me and telling me these things. So that's kind of part of the story is uh, just my kind of looking at the files and seeing things that I had no idea about. I discovered that he was going to be prosecuted when I lifted the cover of our photocopier at home. We had a home office, and on, on the glass of the photocopier was the Bar Association investigating him. Uh, so I picked up the paper and looked at it and just knew that this was it. This was the end of this was the end of him. I knew he was going to get disbarred, and so that was really you know an indication to me that things things were going to be changing here seriously, and that I had to step up and continue to step up and and take control of my life and my children's lives. And what was it? Um... Like, so you you find the thing on the copier and you realize this is a whole different level there. What is that like to cope with? And you've got kids and to go through that process of having your husband be prosecuted right. and, and uh, sent to prison. Well, it was horrifying, as you can imagine. And certainly what I never expected for my own life and for his life and our family's life. It was It was horrifying. But I also had to make kind of a turn in that because I needed to detach myself emotionally so that I could function. I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't go about my life paralyzed with fear, which I was on many levels. And certainly I had many, uh, you know, long, dark nights, but I really needed to get my emotions out of it and recognize that I uh, had a right to survive. I had a responsibility to survive and to help my children and uh, and that I had no I had no knowledge of this. So I was certainly not responsible for any of it. But there was a lot of you know, I would say collateral shame, if you will, just being associated with that. But the other thing that that was was happening was I, I was kind of sorting out my own feelings. Oh, how did I feel about him? You know, I had this marriage of 25 years, so obviously I had a very deep bond of love, which in the book is uh, another theme, is love. And love kind of travels through the book because it doesn't necessarily go away just because you find out something about someone. For me, anyway. Somebody else may have had a very different reaction. So I had to kind of reconcile my feelings um, about how I felt about him, the marriage, the family, a new life that I need to face. And it was very emotionally, it was emotionally, emotional turmoil. Well, and I think that's what's so interesting because even, you know, for those people who can relate to some part of your story, I think that there are uh, many people who have confronted, you know, devastating um, setbacks, whether it's, you know, emotional or financial. And it, so it's compounded. Uh, and, uh, you know, also you got, you've got to be there for the kids too, because this obviously was not easy for them. I mean, their whole right. lives were upended. Exactly. At that point, my children were older, so it was, I think, a little bit easier. And but what I wanted to do, even though they were all, they were in college, I still wanted to protect them and keep their lives going, and not have to make any changes in their lives. So 
in some respects, you know, their lives were kind of protected. Mine was very different. As I said, I had to sell my house. I had to figure out where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. But they, um, and they, they were, you know, pretty supportive of their dad in, um, in that they, you know, went to visit him and we, we certainly kept ourselves together as a family to some extent. Um, I did eventually, you know, get a divorce and, um, you know, so now we're, we're friends. Wow. All right. Well, it is it is a remarkable story. Uh, Janet Lombardi, um, thank you so much for joining us again, folks. The name of the book is Bankruptcy, A Love Story. Uh, again, Bankruptcy, A Love Story. Uh, thank you so much for sharing, and it's a fascinating read. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Again, it's, uh, you know, I think a lot of people can see parts of themselves in, in this book, and it's, uh, you know, as she was saying, you know, nobody had written a book about it from from the inside perspective. So I think that's a, a definitely a unique perspective. All right, well we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 7:54 in the Twin Cities, 65 degrees. Esme Murphy with you until nine o'clock. Uh, on deck, we've got uh, Professor David Schultz. Uh, so much to talk about with him. Uh, as I was chatting with Jonathan, it's kind of like a soap opera these days with the political scene. Uh, and one of the things that you know I really love about talking with him is not only does he have sort of the political analysis, but he also has, has obviously he's a law professor, and we'll talk to him about the fact that there is now a grand jury in this case. I mean, what does that mean? Um, what impact does that have? I've seen some estimates saying that a grand jury could meet for eighteen months. I mean, that seems like it's forever. Uh, the situation clearly is not going away, folks. We're going to be dealing with this. For a, a very long time. So I want to ask him about that. And then I also want to ask him about um, – uh, he had a little ostrich egg uh, – a little ostrich egg uh, rendezvous. And he actually has gotten somebody who has a chain of uh, really wonderful cafes is going to cook the ostrich egg. Although I don't know how you get a pan that's big enough for the ostrich egg because what I read – and I Googled it after um, he explained this to me – uh, one ostrich egg is equal to like two dozen hen eggs. So think about that. You know, you got a pan, you're trying to like fry up a dozen eggs. I mean, that's got to be a pretty big pan, but no, you're frying up two dozen eggs. And what does it taste like? I don't know. I just think the whole thing is, well, I don't know. We'll, we'll ask him about it and see why he's doing this. Um, also want to pull, put in a plug for uh, WCCO TV Sunday morning. Uh, we will have all the latest on all these stories. Uh, including the firebombing of that mosque in Bloomington. Uh, we also will have an update on the latest in that Minnehaha investigation because obviously a lot of people still concerned about that. Uh, again, thank you to Chief Brian Tyner from the Minneapolis Fire Department who was kind enough to come in and talk about uh, what that was like responding to that scene. Uh, he was saying it was the worst natural gas explosion he had seen in, in his 22 years in the department. So – uh, we'll have updates on all those things. Uh, Mike Augustinak will be there. We also will have uh, live at 1030. We'll have Senator Al Franken. A lot to talk about with him uh, tomorrow on WCCO television. And also Dean Phillips, who is a likely candidate to run against uh, Congressman Eric Paulson in 2018. So keep it here, folks. You are listening to the one and only News Radio 830 WCCO. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.